Hello and welcome into another episode of the Calcio Connection podcast, connecting with you Italian football fans from all over the world. Alex Dono alongside Jerry Mancini, and we come to you after an incredibly busy Sunday in Serie A where all 20 teams were in action. You had Inter 6-2 winners over Crotone, staying second on the table. Roma, a 1-0 victory on a, a very wet, ugly pitch at the Olimpico against Sampdoria. Atalanta shredding Sassuolo 5-1. Napoli shredding Cagliari 4-1 behind a really good second half. Fiorentina and Bologna played to a nil-nil draw. Genoa and Lazio played to a 1-1 draw. We'll talk about that plenty, of course. Torino finally found victory. 3-0 over Parma. Torino finally broke the seal. Elas Verona 1-0 over Spezia. Milan stayed top of the table with a 2-0 over Benevento despite playing uh, about an hour down to 10 men. So that was impressive for Milan to get that 2-0 victory. And Juventus bounced back in style after their humiliation against Fiorentina a week and a half ago. They beat Udinese 4-1. Uh, so, Jerry, I, you know, of course, uh, you and I usually start with some combination uh, of Inter and Lazio. You're obviously not in the best of spirits today after dropping more points than 1-1 against Genoa. Would you rather start with Lazio or start with Inter? I'll let you choose the adventure here for how we I'll, I'll go with neither, and, and I'll be <laughs> very unbiased. I'll say that I'm very impressed with Milan, and you yeah, just said yeah. they were down a man for an hour. And I saw, I tweeted out that I think it's time to stop, a, that the refs helped Milan, and another penalty they got, and... And, and I'll be the first to back them up because I heard it all year, all season last year about Immobile getting another penalty. It's very simple. If Milan is going to gain 70% possession and continuously going to attack you in, in the final third, and what's going to happen what may result is a penalty because they're just continuously attacking. And that's what happened yesterday against Benevento. They just continuously attacked until they got a card. And give them credit when when... They were down and then they still exploited Benevento's weaknesses. Whereas Benevento showed that they do have a lot of heart, a lot of fight, but they lack that quality where Gianluca Lapadula just laid a freaking stinker and Caprari scores the penalty. And all of a sudden, we're not talking about does Milan get the help? It's, oh, Benevento had the chance to, to beat them, this and that. So I, I don't buy it. I think that. It's time to, to give Milan praise, and I think this team is more than just lucky. It's a team that has overcome obstacles left, right, and center, from being a man down to missing key players to changing the culture of the team with Stefano Pioli. And I, I, I saw an article where he regrets not being able to do the same in his second season with Lazio and how his ending was was one of his major regrets. And maybe his time with Lazio has really helped him to, to become a much better manager, even with people skills as well, as we're seeing with, with Milan. So I think full credit to Pioli and how he's been able to really, really change his club around. Maybe his time with uh, Fiorentina really helped him too, with the passing of uh, Astore and just keeping the team together. So... You know what? I, I don't like Milan. I'm not a fan of Milan, but 
you got to not be biased and, and be blind to see that this team is actually doing everything right in the right way. It's not the fact that they're having help and gain the assistance of the referees. I think both can be true. Honestly, I, I look at it. I, I look at it both ways. Um, I, I do not deny they have been in an incredible, incredible run of form going back to last season after lockdown. Um, their their defense was was just incredible yesterday. Donnarumma, best keeper in Italy, one of the best keepers in the world. And and you're right. I mean, they uh, they, they, they didn't fold down. The occasion on on both on both ends it, it was impressive but um i i also i also think you can i, I think it's it's not unfair for, for people who are not milanisti to be a little bit annoyed with some of the luck they get in matches right when it because i i thought the penalty that they did get was a, a bit of a fortunate call incidental body-to-body contact i think you could have i didn't expect them to overturn it once they called it uh, but it, they a little bit fortunate to get that call. And a couple minutes before that, I thought Benevento could have uh, received a penalty kick for for a clumsy tackle. Now, when Benevento did get their chance, they they didn't make the PK. So, uh, so I'm not I'm not going to say that that's the reason why you know Milan won the game, right? And and yeah, I'm not here telling you that there's some sort of a Milan version of Calciopoli. That's not what I'm saying because I know anyone who says that the Milanisti will come back and say, well, wait, they sent off our guy. Why did they send off Tonali if the referees are on our payroll? I'm not saying that. I'm saying they have gotten some fortunate calls. But to Jerry's point, they've also made the most of it. They've made a meal of it, and they've been really, really good. And and I think that you're correct what you said about everything that they've done this year. I mean, they've they've had to win games at times when – Zlatan has been out. I mean, Zlatan currently out with injury. He was out for COVID earlier this season. They've had to to win games and earn points when Donnarumma was out with COVID earlier. You know, they've they've now won games down to ten. You know, they they've won games with with defensive players like Kyrie unavailable. So, yeah, I mean, it's they 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 deserve to be in first place, no question about that. I I, I found a, one thing, Jerry, that was really interesting about the games yesterday when you look at. You know what happened uh, in Inter's match against Crotone, and what happened uh, in uh, in Milan's match uh, against Benevento. You know the big uh, the big summer debate amongst Interisti was: uh, Hold on, you, if you are, are you gonna you know make the investment in Sandro Tonali, or are you gonna let Conte get his senior citizen Arturo Vidal? You know, yeah, Conte ends up taking Vidal, and Vidal has had a pretty poor year. He had a horrific, horrific penalty given up yesterday. And Tonali also got sent off in Milan's match, deservedly so. So I'm not saying that anything vindicates the other. I still would have rather made the investment in Tonali, believe me. And I think he's going to be really, really good. I really, really think that. But uh, but it's maybe taking him a little bit longer to grow into high level. I mean, because he obviously he was with City, in Serie A last year with Brescia and had a nice year. But I think that growing into a role in a club like Milan, it's taking him a little bit more time to grow into that than I expected. So I just thought it was ironic that the big summer debate was Vidal or Tonali, and, and both of them had pretty bad performances yesterday. Well, I think that Inter was actually really good yesterday, personally. And for the most part, a lot of people were doubting Conte. And I think that Conte is the... He's basically going to ship these, this team into the right direction with City. And I also believe that Coppa Italia is, is still a priority for Inter as well. Um, yeah. 
I think that that is a a channel where they can get a trophy, finally break their their decade deadlock here, where they haven't been able to win since what, like 2011, I want to say. I'm not exactly sure, but I think that's right. I think Lautaro Martinez showing form at the right time, um, playing once a week. It, I'm kind of concerned to see how severe Lukaku's injury is. Um, maybe he should have came out earlier, but I, I won't fault Conte. I know the score is probably 4-2 or whatever it may have been, but at the same time, it, it wasn't like Conte was overplaying Lukaku on, on a week's play. He, they had almost a week and a half off, basically just came back from uh, from uh, Christmas break. You can't really fault injuries for the manager in these games today. Maybe they could have came out a little bit earlier, considering that they're playing Wednesday and Friday, sorry, and Sunday. But I think Inter has a lot of depth that can basically replace Lukaku up front on a Wednesday against Santoria. I know maybe people will think, well, wouldn't you rather want to play him longer against Santoria, not against Cortone? These are always decisions that are, are difficult, but I guess considering how Lotaro really looked really good yesterday, this is where you're happy that maybe if Lukaku has to miss a game, Martinez is showing a spark. He, he can provide that, hopefully that that scoring missing that that's gonna be missing from Lukaku. But um, I think they're 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 gelling at the right time. They looked much better in Serie A compared to what they have looked uh, in the Champions League and. Yeah. It's kind of the opposite of what Lazio has been like, where in Champions League, they look like gods, and Serie A, they look like mystery, unsolved mysteries, where you just don't know, you don't know what you're going to get with Lazio, but it, an over, I guess an, an overall good performance. You got Stefano Sensi, who who's now returned, so that gives some balance in the midfield, and our boy Arturo Vidal continues to uh, make... Uh, some really bonehead decisions. I I wrote a piece and I thought that he was a good signing in the summer. I thought so too, and I'll be fully honest. And I and I say that knowing that I'm in the minority of Interisti. I think the majority of Inter fans did not want Vidal. This is just a Conte fetish. They said this is one of those guys, a finished player. Conte just wants him. You know, he, he's not been he's not been horrible every game he's played this year. He's had a couple of decent performances, but I. I just think the bad outweighs the good. He's he's given up two really poor penalties. You know he has uh, he has had some injury issues, been in and out of the lineup. I think his fitness looks really poor. Uh, looked poor yesterday. So I mean, o- overall, this has been a net negative. And and there were a, a few a few points, Jerry. I wanted to go over from the match. Vidal being one of those. I mean, he you know he gave up that really poor penalty. He uh, he had a couple of other. Bad moments, misplayed balls. He was subbed off at halftime for Stefano Sensi. And Sensi, when healthy, dynamic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely dynamic. I mean, he completely changed the outlook of Inter's midfield when he came on at halftime. We've seen that a couple of times this year. Uh, you know, Inter had no shortage of goal scorers yesterday. You mentioned Lautaro Martinez, who, um, and we talked about this in our chat, Jerry. My mush continues to work in mysterious ways because the, the, the last time we taped an episode, we had our guys Joe and Lucci on, uh, and we, we were running through our teams that we support, uh, Lazio, Inter, Napoli, Juventus, and we, we went through like our, our most disappointing players so far this year, and I named Lautaro Martinez, and disappointing because my expectation is way high, and he wasn't delivering on that. 
he had his best match of the year on Sunday. Scored three goals. Really could have been four. I mean, he got the hat trick, but he really scored four times. The second of those was ruled an own goal. Uh, but, you know, it, we didn't even realize it till halftime that that had been ruled an own goal. So we really thought that Lautaro Martinez had four goals in the match. This was one of the rare occasions, though, where even though you had a hat trick scorer in the game, I could argue that Romelu Lukaku was still man of the match, despite Lautaro having a hat trick, because Lukaku... Um, he, he had his hands in everything and all the goals he had his hands in the buildup, the goal that he scored was, was absolutely sublime, completely bullying a defender one-on-one before putting it in. Uh, so I, I thought Lukaku was tremendous. He did leave the game as you alluded to with a muscular injury around the 75th minute. Um, I, I don't, I don't blame anybody for that. I certainly don't blame Conte for it. Um, now there is, there is a question as to, um, everyone's saying it doesn't look like it's a serious injury, but I think it's almost certain he's going to be held out of Sampdoria, at least for precautionary measures. That's the Wednesday midweek game. Um, it looks like Alexis Sanchez is ready to return and probably play from the start in that one. I'm not expecting Alexis to be able to have 90 minutes of fitness. So you kind of have to wonder if Alexis starts and maybe plays 60, 70 minutes, um, Inter might change the formation and go with one striker later when they make a sub. So you would hope they have a lead by that point and and can sub him off and maybe have like a 3-5-1-1 and, and feel comfortable about that or something where maybe Lautaro is the only guy up front. So we'll see how that one goes. Um, and, you know, uh, Ashraf Hakimi scored again. It's funny because Hakimi had a really, really good match. I mean, he was playing some dangerous crosses, even a couple of really good crosses to Lautaro that he couldn't quite get the end of his foot on. And Hakimi scored a beautiful goal in the 87th minute. Uh, But this is what you love about Caltro Twitter. And I do the same thing to other teams. Banter. Banter is fun. At one point in that game, Hakimi had like basically a whiff and he kind of fell over when he was trying to play a pass and turned it over. And despite the fact that he's been really good for the last month or so and had a really good game... What do you think is the one play for Hakimi that gets circulated around Twitter? It's the really poor mistake that he had. That's the Milanisti will pass. See, you thought this guy was better than Teo Hernandez? Look, he's terrible. Hakimi sucks. Milanisti, Interisti, they're both really good. I don't know why we have to have these arguments, and I know it's fun, and I know it's Calcio Twitter, but when I see people on social media arguing to the death about who's better between Hakimi and they're both really, really good. Uh, and, and Teo has proven more to this point, right? Like, I, I can confidently say that Teo Hernandez is the best left back in Serie A because we're seeing now the second year of that body of work. With Ashraf Hakimi, I know how talented he is. He's dynamic. He's really only been playing at a super high level in Serie A. He was very good at Dortmund. But in Serie A, only been playing at a really high level for like a month. But I don't know why people have to argue to the death. Oh, this guy's the best and this guy sucks. Let's just agree that they're both two of the best fullbacks slash wingbacks in Serie A. And we can move on from there. So, yeah. So with uh, so with Lukaku, I don't uh, he, he's probably not going to play against Samp. I think that his condition could be in doubt against Roma next uh, Sunday, 630 a.m. Eastern time. So that's going to be a really, really important match. But. Yeah, I mean, Jerry, I was happy about the performance. I mean, conceding twice was uh, was annoying in this game. It was a 6-2 to two win for Inter. The first goal was just a defensive lapse. Uh, the second goal was the penalty. That was all on Arturo Vidal for committing a stupid, stupid foul. 
But uh, as far as the attack, uh, Inter did not struggle to score goals. Lautaro Martinez had the best performance of the season so far for him with three. Um, you know, Hakimi, Lukaku both scoring. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty content. Now in the January transfer window, I'm not expecting anything you know, revolutionary, uh, you know, we we look, we look at players like uh, Rodrigo DePaul is the wish list for a lot of Interisti, and I love him. Two things that concern me about their prospects of bringing him in in January. Number one, um, Udinese and the Pozzo family don't tend to make big sales mid-season, right? They tend to more look at, at summer for making moves like that. And then on the other side of it, um, in order to bring in a guy like Rodrigo DePaul, who's going to cost you a pretty penny, even if you include players going the other way, you're going to have to you're going to have to make some room on the squad, and you're going to have to free up some salary, right? Like you're going to have to move on from Christian Eriksen. I know, and I know Inter want to, but it's always easier said than done because a couple of weeks ago, when it became clear that Eriksen was not going to be part of Inter's plan and they're going to look to move him in January. People start to do this Fanta Calcio where they're saying, oh, well, maybe, you know, we can sell him back to Spurs for like 40 million or, oh, we can sell him to PSG for like 35, 40 million because he wants to play with Pochettino again, who's now the, uh, the manager of PSG. And then reality strikes and you realize there are no big offers coming in for the guy. There are no big, I mean, even uh, reportedly Pochettino at PSG does not consider Ericsson his number one option and is going to look at other midfielders first. And a lot of Interisti were talking about, oh, well, we can swap uh, Paredes for for Ericsson. Paredes reportedly has rejected a move to enter. He doesn't want to leave PSG. So reality sets in. Like, you've got a player who used to be a world-class midfielder, maybe can be again, and Ericsson, oh, we're going to sell him for $40, 50000000 million, make a big profit. Well, guess what? The offers aren't coming in. You can blame it on the COVID economy. You can blame it on Antonio Conte for burying him on the bench. Blame it on Ericsson. Whoever you want to blame it on, the offers are not coming in. So uh, in order to make a move like Rodrigo DePaul, you're going to need to move from a guy like Ericsson. Um, you know, I, I know that, uh, we're, we're all waiting to see what happens with, with Papu Gomez. Maybe, uh, you know, a few days ago I was seeing reports that Inter were the favorites for Papu Gomez, but then last couple of days I've heard nothing and DiMarzio has not said much about him. So I don't know what's going on there, but I'm, I'm not expecting big moves in January. I think overall, uh, Antonio Conte will probably need to try and win a Scudetto with a squad that's pretty similar to the one he has right now. And Jerry, with no Champions League uh, and no Europa League, um, I, I don't worry as much about squad depth, even though the midfield could use an injection uh, of life. I don't worry too much about squad depth because, as you've mentioned, yeah, there's going to be Coppa Italia, but there's no European football. Inter should have enough depth to get through the year. No, no, for sure. I, I don't see why they couldn't get through the whole season, but... I guess only time will tell. Uh, Erickson, I think the biggest issue with Erickson was that you guys didn't play him enough. And had you guys given him a sample size, and, it, and this is what I say with Nzagi as well, there's no point of writing players on the bench. Cause, and I, the thing is that Conte doesn't care if they can't sell him. He's going to play the players that he wants on the pitch. He doesn't look at the long-term effect that had he played Erickson, he could have sold him. Um, that, that's That's the downfall, but... It is what it is. I think Erickson's future, his playing career, could be on a downhill right now because Conte is really killing him, and he's not really 
he's not really helping himself either. When he does get opportunity, he's rebelling against Conte and what he wants yeah. him to do on the pitch. I know you play a certain style, but if your manager's asking you to do something and you're rebelling, chances are you're not going to be playing anymore. You got, like you said, since he came back, Gallardini's one of his favorites. Um, even a bad Vidal is still ahead of Ericsson. So the pecking or you got Brozovic, there's just so many options. That, yeah, but I love... And the fact that you're only playing once a week now doesn't really tie his hands. Well, and, and another one is uh, Matias Vecino is going to be fit again soon. And Vecino is definitely, he's he's a player that, uh, that Conte wanted to sell last summer. Like Conte did not consider him part of Inter's plans. But Vecino got hurt, essentially made him unsellable. Um, I, I don't I don't really see him as someone who's going to get moved in January. So this is one of those where you have to sort of hope and pray that this is going to be like, like one of those quote unquote new signings. You know, when the Italian media always says, oh, whenever there's a player that's coming back to fitness in January, well, such and such player will be like a new signing for Inter. Well, yeah, Matias Vecino is the guy that will be like a new signing for Inter. So uh, I'm curious to see how. You know, at some point this month when he's part of the squad again, how he's going to fit into the Conte pecking order, right? Like where, where, where is, uh, you know, let, let's say, and I do expect Erickson to be moved. I do expect that. Uh, but if, if Erickson, for whatever reason, doesn't leave in January, even on loan, he might go on loan. You know, does, uh, does Vecino get above him in the pecking order? You know, uh, I, I assume Vecino would probably be below Gagliardini and probably still be below Arturo Vidal, but maybe he should be ahead of Arturo Vidal in the pecking order. I'm curious to see how that goes. Yeah, that that's the biggest question mark. Um, we never know what Conte wants to do personally, but I, I'm just pulling up their squad now for Inter. Just curious to see how you, you said. I didn't know Vecino was even part of the team still. Freaking, that, that's... Uh, that's how much we've heard about him personally. Yeah, he had uh, he had surgery last summer. I think it was on the foot, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, he had he had an injury, and so yeah, like they 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 totally they would have sold him if they could have, but you know you didn't have really have any offers because he was hurt. No, for sure. And they, again, he has a lot of options now, so I think that coming just and I I don't think that Coppa Italia will be. A, a, a big adjustment for this team. I think that the goal was always, in the piece that I wrote earlier this year, was that the goal was never Champions League. It was always Serie A. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing this right now, that he's delivering for Serie A. So I, I don't think Vidal is in the doghouse personally yet. Um, yeah, he has made two bone, bonehead decisions, but I think his overall play hasn't been as bad as people are making it out for, to be. I think it's just the timing of his decisions that may have came that hurt his side, but the overall play of his game hasn't been bad. Um, I think if there's one area that concerns me with um, with Inter, it's more the wingback position. Yeah. And, and I don't like, um, what's his name? Oh, sorry. Young? Yeah, I don't like Ashley Young. I think he's too inconsistent. Personally, where yeah. one game he looks really good, one game he looks really bad, and maybe keeping Kondreva may have been a better solution to play behind Young. Yeah, he can't play on the left. Sorry, he can only he can only play on the right. Mm -hmm. 
I, I think I think Darmian can supposedly play on the left, but he's uh, he's been used mostly on the right. So right. it's been on the on the left. It's been primarily Ashley Young and then Ivan Perisic. Listen, Perisic. Um, Perisic been playing as a substitute to uh, Young. Yeah, he has, and it it is what he actually he he played he played uh, decent against Crotone. You know, he had a he had that patented step over that we used to see from him back in the day. But it's like you know what you're going to get from Perisic. You're going to get occasionally a, a good performance. You're going to get some poor performances. He's not really a wing back. I mean, he's been used either at second striker or at wing back. He's a winger, like he's a left winger, and there's no spot for him on Conte's squad. And yeah, to what you said about Ashley Young. He's inconsistent because he's older than dirt. I mean, you, you cannot expect a player of his age to be able to string together five, six really good performances back to back. Um, you know, he's he's got he's got a great dribble. He's got a nice shot, great volume. He can cross, he can score. But then there are some games where he's going to look slow. He's going to get beaten defensively and he's going to have moments where he disappears a little bit because he's in his mid 30s. Well, you say he can score. Yeah, oh yeah, he can score Ashley Young for sure. No, he hasn't scored a goal this year, so he can't score. Well, he did <laughs> score last year. He's capable. He's had some chances this year to score. Uh, he can I, score, Jerry. He can. Just because he doesn't doesn't mean he can't. Well, can is one thing. Could I don't know. <laughs> I'm looking at his stats right now, and he they don't look good, man. I, I don't know. But it is could be the fact that there's no one competing against him for his position. So he's very uh, comfortable that he doesn't have to push himself to the next level. I think you always want a, a quality backup that, you know, there's someone always behind you and, and making you to play your game to another level. And you know that your job is not always secure, but uh, it, it is what it is. Yeah, I'll just say I'll, I'll say one more thing, and then and then I want to move on to Lazio. Um, so far, you know, it, it's been a mixed bag for the transfer window that Conte had in the summer, right? I mean, I'm happy with Hakimi, very happy. You know, that was Inter's first big move. He was expensive. Thank you for that. Um, I'm actually pretty happy with Matteo Darmian. He's been a really good backup and a good squad player. But, you know, Inter, the other uh, couple of major signings that Inter made over, well, really you can also put in Pina Monti in that class, who's been a non-factor, and they're looking to, to move him on loan somewhere else again in January. So that one's not worked out either. But Kolarov, unmitigating disaster. If I never see the guy on the pitch again, it will be too soon. And Vidal has been more bad than good. So Conte's summer transfer window, it's been more bad than good so far. Far and I know that uh, he was forced to make some budget type of moves because of the. Sorry, I just knocked a flashlight over. He was forced to make some budget moves, you know, due to the pandemic, and you couldn't make uh, you couldn't make more Hakimi type investments after the pandemic struck. And Suning was trying to pinch a few pennies, but uh, yeah, it's it's been a little bit rough. Oh, and and actually that that reminds me, I, I should say that there have been a lot of rumors over the past week or so about Inter's ownership looking to sell their stake, uh, Suning never made complete sense to me, those rumors. And Suning did come out and make a strong statement against it. There's no truth to it. We're not trying to sell our stake. What they have been trying to doing, have what they have been trying to do, and you can understand this given all the loss of revenue, they're looking for investors, right? They are looking for people 
to invest minority stakes in the club. They've been aggressively hunting for a new shirt sponsor because Pirelli doesn't pay shit. They're trying to get, uh, I think, Evergrande is the leader in the clubhouse to pay a big sum for the shirt sponsors. So they they are trying to get investors. They're trying to get new sponsors. There's no question. But then there were rumors that they're trying to sell the club completely. And I think the reason why those rumors came up is, uh, and I'm not an expert on global politics, but I think the Chinese government is imposing some more restrictions on Chinese owning foreign businesses that are, are maybe making it, at least for the time being, a little bit tougher for Suning to invest what they want to invest in Inter. But at the same time, Jerry, this idea, this idea that right now, 2021, early 2021, Suning would be looking to sell their stake off and sell Inter, it doesn't make a lot of sense right now, right? If they were to try to do this uh, in a year or two, when there are people back in stadiums, when sponsorship business is booming because the pandemic is behind us, God willing, God willing, the pandemic will be behind us soon, and they can actually make a profit off of Inter, and they can actually maximize their investment, I could see that, okay? If Suning starts to look at Inter like a business and not like a passion project the way that Moratti did you know, back in the day or Berlusconi at Milan, because maybe Suning looks at it more like a business and you know they're entitled to that. It's a financial investment for them. This would seem like a terrible time to sell. I mean, to sell your stake right now when revenues are at their lowest and when you're going to have to sell it for a fire sale discount price because you can't put butts in seats and you can't maximize your 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 um, sponsorship dollars. This is like the worst possible time to sell a business of that size. So that's why I wasn't buying into that. But the Italian media loves to talk. They love to spread rumors. They love to create drama. So here we are. No, I, I don't see them selling anytime soon. I agree with you. It has to be in a time where the, the club is making a financial gain and they can make a profit on it. I don't think they want to take a loss if they were to sell it right now. It'd be a substantial loss. I personally yeah. think well, I'm not one to know about the numbers and everything. But sorry to go off topic. I was pulling up stats of Ashley Young finally. Mm. The last time he had three goals in a season was 2013 14. Really? Yes. Overall, in all competition, I'm looking at. Jesus. And his best season since is 2011 2012. First year with Manchester United, eight goals in all competition. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, Alex. What were his no, but what were his stats uh, last year at Inter from? Because he arrived in January. From January on, he, he he scored at least two goals, right? Four goals he had. Oh, Four okay. goals in in twenty five matches in all competition, and yeah, he, I, maybe he's not known to be a scorer, but maybe he's more a dynamic guy who can send crosses. We should bring on uh, Hayter because he he probably knows Ashley Young very well. Absolutely. And being with United for nine seasons seems as seems like he had the time with with United and maybe he delivered more than just scoring. So yeah, with Villa with Villa he he had nine goals every year except for his first season. Again, that's all competition. His his best season was in the Championship League with uh, Watford. He had fifteen goals in his three mm-hmm. years. But, uh, yeah, just wanted to pull that stat up because uh, <laughs> I'm just not a big fan of Ashley Young. But, again, I hear you. I'm also being a little blindsided here because he is 35 years old. And yeah. he he's kind of reminding me of Lulich where Lulich is on the decline too. And once you, as a wing back at 35, it becomes very demanding on your body. And I think a lot of people, like 
Lulic's heydays were his early days with Lazio. He was one of the best in Serie A. So it's hard to judge a player too when he's 35 compared to when he was 30. So that's another thing. But well, I wanted to uh, to to move on to Lazio, and I, I watched most of the game yesterday, Jerry. Um, you know, I had I had like a a, a triple screen because the the 9 a.m. slot was just was lit yesterday. I had I had a screen on Napoli Crotone. I had a screen on Lazio Genoa. I also had a a screen on uh, on Roma's one nil win over Sampdoria. I had a screen on Atalanta. So it was do you, it was do you lit do yesterday. That but Inter's playing? Well, well, that was the earlier game, so I didn't I didn't have to have a screen on that. Would you do that if Inter was playing, or is Inter the only? Oh no 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 screen? no! Inter's the sole focus when they're playing. Okay. I, yeah, okay. I know. I focus on that, but. <laughs> Dude, I, I was I was frustrated on Lazio's behalf because they were they were just really wasteful and at times a little bit unlucky in the final third. Like they they really should have won that game two or three to one, uh, I thought. And and so as a result of, of dropping points against Genoa, one one finish, uh, Lazio finds themselves in ninth place. They're a point behind Elas Verona, twenty two points. So I, I'm just curious, and we're not even quite at the midway point yet of the season, Jerry. But you know, this is you know this is a, a time when we're what 15 match days in, where you, you start to feel a little bit better. You, you get a better grasp of your team's position. So on a scale of one to ten, what's your concern level about Lazio? Because I, I know that your expectation was before the season they'd be in a Champions League spot at the end of the year. So ninth place right now, 15 match days. On a scale of one to ten, what's your level of concern? I'd say a seven, and I say this, and I'll keep on saying it. And I know that people are saying, "Well, come off the break, and you got to deal with personal, like people with their their character, and like understand that they're not going to want to get be benched off in fifteen minutes into the game." It doesn't matter what they want. You need to do what's best for your team. If Luis Alberto doesn't like being subbed off at the sixtieth minute mark. He needs to deal with that. Like, mm-hmm. you got a game on Wednesday, you got a game on Sunday. It doesn't matter that you want to play 90 minutes. You're going to burn yourself out by the time you get to the second game. Um, I thought the first half, Latu, were really good. Um, controlled possession. They, they attacked. They didn't finish. That was the problem. Immobile kind of, like, didn't get his shot off properly. He kind of missed, he missed the target. Credit the fact that the ball was in midair, so it was kind of hard to connect. In the second half, he sailed the ball right over the right over the net. Last year, he would have been hitting those chances. I don't know if he's trying to do more than he should. Um, the biggest issue I'm starting to see it's yeah, our defense is really bad. Or not bad. It it, it looks good for 80 minutes of the game, and then one. I thought that Genoa didn't really have any chances yesterday. Even though they were attacking in the second half, I, mm-hmm. the the problem was once they had their one opportunity, it was where Lazio just were they just broke down. Leva did a, I don't know what the heck Lucas Leva was doing in the midfield, just a really poor poor attempt. Um, because like two minutes later, he takes a foul and he stops the guy from going the other way. I would have preferred he had done that earlier taking him down, and if you have to substitute him after that, because he's on the yellow, and he's going to miss the next game now anyways, so I would have taken him off, bring an Escalante, would have prevented a scoring chance. The fact that he made a poor attempt, I don't like a Cherby 
constantly attacking up. And on that sequence, now on the counterattack, you see a Cherby where it looked like he fouled, um, I forgot who it was, their captain, uh, the Genoa captain. I forget his name now. Um, just a blank now. Sorry, guys. But there's uh, there's a foul, but the plague continues. And when you go the other way, Radu is caught out of position. Felipe, Luis Felipe doesn't see the guy on the left either. Like there's a miscommunication between Crisito. the two players. Sorry, Crisito. yeah, Crisito. He follows Crisito. Uh, I don't like a Cherby always constantly attacking because you exp- you leave yourself wide open in the back, and and it, it, it's as if no one covered him in the back end now. And as the counterattack happens, it's like one on three. He gets around Lucas Leva. I forgot who it is. Sorry. And then as the player gets around Lucas Leva, there's two defenders still back. And Luis Felipe and Radu are, are side by side to each other. And no one takes um, Matias Destro on the right side. And he's left wide open. Now, if a defender shifts to the left, all of a sudden, you're, we're not talking about one mistake. It, it's just... Poor assignments and, and players not doing what they're supposed to. <coughs> Sorry. Um, overall, it's just another disappointing result where Lazio shoots himself in the foot. One mistake all game. They couldn't capitalize. I thought in the last half hour, Lazio really gen- like, didn't have any rhythm in their attack. They just, yeah, they had possession, but they didn't really do much in the final third. And that's where I felt a change could have been made. Lucas Leva maybe should not have started in the second half. I don't think he's 100%. He looks a step behind now. Um, maybe Luis Alberto not looking as crisp in the second half, kind of starting to die down. Andreas Pereira could have came in earlier. Um, Caicedo, I prefer Caicedo should have came off the bench instead of starting. He really s- struggled yesterday. He had a golden opportunity in the second half. And Lazzari makes a beautiful pass into the box, right into the six-yard box. And you see Caicedo just take a white belt and slip. And he just keeps on running. And I don't know why, where he just needs to position himself better. I'm not a Caicedo hater, but I do believe that he, he's more impactful coming off the bench. And Vidat Mariki, I, I personally think, should have started yesterday. Now, a lot of people are going to say, you hate him. Yeah, I haven't been I haven't been happy with him this year, but when you're playing Genoa, Fiorentina, and Parma this week, these are the games you need to get the best out of Mariki. The guy hasn't even played more than 300 minutes yet this year. Um, he's played what, maybe 10 matches where he's only started two. We don't know what we really have. That goes along with Gonzalo Escalante, Andres Pereira, who I mentioned earlier. Um, Wesley Hoop maybe would have been a better option yesterday because Patrick didn't have the best game yesterday. Um, there's there's just a lot of question marks where Inzaghi at the end, start of the year was happy with the transfer market, was happy with the players that were brought to him. And now all of a sudden, we are still in the same predicament like last year where we're playing Luis Alberto over a 1,000 minutes. We're playing Sergei Malinkovic-Savage over a 1,000 minutes. We're playing Chido Mobile over a thousand minutes. We're we're overusing a Cherby. Mm. Now, I have to see social media saying that our winter transfer market, our summer transfer market, transfer market was a bust. How can we say it's a bust if we don't 
play the players that were given to us. We we can't judge, we can't make an, a fair assessment on 10 performances where players are coming on with 10 minutes remaining. How, how do you get how do you get rhythm into a game with 10 minutes remaining? How do you become impactful? I always believe that within a half an hour, you, with, you need at least 30 minutes to, to actually make a difference in a game, not five or 10 minutes. I always find that like the last 10 minutes are more of substitutions where you try to kill off the game. You try to slow the game down. That's just my opinion about a last 10-minute change or, or or more of a, a defensive change where you're trying to defend the lead, say. But with the game tie 1-1 with a half an hour left, I think he should have made a, a change. By the time Genoa made their fifth change, Lazio had only made two changes and still had three available. We do three changes all at once in the last 10 minutes. Like It, it blows my mind. This is the one area of concern with, with Inzaghi, and if he can fix it, I know he's loyal to his players, and he has that, that brand of loyalty, but he has to like drop that barrier and realize that you're not just playing City A like Inter. You're playing Champions League next month. Yeah. You're playing Copa Italia this month. The, this this overplaying of Sergei Malinkovic-Savic, Luis Alberto, is not going to help you. And then you have to hear that Luis Alberto is not having the best season. Well, maybe a contributing factor is that we're overplaying him. And we're not getting the best out of him because he's not getting the proper rest, the proper rotation that he needs. Now, I know that he's a star midfielder and you want to see him every game, but a game like yesterday, and I know it was a week and a half off, so you're not going to see those players being benched yesterday. Mm -hmm. But coming off earlier in the game would have made a difference. And I think the last part is not having a, a proper left wing back. I think Adam Marisic has done a really good job this year, really filling the void, but not having a healthy Mohamed Fadis, not having Sena Lulic around right now, and, and having to use Manuel Atsidi more hasn't really benefited them now. We're seeing that the wingback position may be becoming a, a, a concern because we're overplaying the same players. And if one of the two players are to get injured, this can be a concern because now we have to put Anderson on the left side, a player that Inzaghi hasn't been really comfortable with this season. And you know what? You need to give other players chances. Uh, we have an 18-year-old, Raul Maru, Maru, who we spent $10 million for. Um, he hasn't been playing. I know that he's only 18, but give him a chance. See what he can do. We are we're so predictable with our 3-5-2 that I think teams have figured out how Nzagi is going to approach his games now. It's the same starting 11 consistently now for the last four years. And even when we have Akpa Akpa, who's shown signs of, of being a difference maker this year. Um, I, I, the list continues. And at the end of the day, we, we can say that we need to buy more players in the winter transfer market. Fair enough. I would say we need a wing back. Absolutely. But after that, and maybe a center back as well. But other than that, we, we need to start using what is available to us. Like, if we're going to be overplaying Lucas Leva at the age of 35 or 34, whatever he is, and on one leg, and he's just not fit, and we have Escalante, who looked brilliant against Napoli and Milan, let's play him. If we have a Pereira, who's looked good in 10 minutes coming off the field, imagine what he can do with a half an hour. Yeah, it, it, It's just mind-boggling. Uh, again, 
uh, and the last point is, and Daniel Lucci brought this up in our chat group, maybe the fact that there aren't any fans is really starting to hurt Lazio because this is a team who really depended on fans. And I, and I, and I take that into consideration only to a, a limit because when you're getting paid X amount of dollars to be playing a game, I don't care fans or no fans, you need to go to the game ready and prepared. Like that, that's, and I know people are going to say, Oh, easier said than done. But I, I just think that when you're, when you're making five million a year, three million a year, there's no excuses. That should be the motivation for you, especially aside from loving the game, that you're you're being compensated so much compared to what other people make in this world. So it, it's going to be a, a a rough stretch if if Lazio doesn't change up things. And maybe I, I saw Stephen Moore on Twitter considered a 4-2-3-1 I believe he mentioned if I wanna he was seeing like a different formation he recommended and maybe with a back four would work better because Lassity can play as a as a I believe as a right back and we we have the personnel to go to a four back so I don't see why that couldn't not work 4-2-3-1 yeah so maybe a switch in formation will will allow a different tactic, something different, a different approach that Lazio maybe need to to go after their their opponents. So the, the absence of Korea doesn't help. But again, Korea is a prime example. Did we need to play Korea versus Milan when we could have started Caicedo, who was healthy, or, or, or Mariki, who was healthy, and, and we could have had Korea available this week? Now we have Korea missing up to a month. That's that's my 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 point. And yeah, you, you can only judge your transfer market to a point only if you see enough opportunities. And the last thing I'll say is we don't. I don't judge players on ten minutes coming in the game yesterday. With ten minutes, you don't get enough time to to to. to you can't judge Mariki yesterday with ten minutes in the game. Um, it's not enough for him to get into the game, to get his rhythm, to see what he's able to do. Even Pereira and Akba Akpro, like it's just not to me. I don't, I won't judge those players in 10 minutes. So fair enough. But other than that, I'm hoping that they'll be able to turn it around. The season's long. I've seen Lazio be on the top and then dip to the bottom. I've seen crazy things happen where, Teams start to lose nine games in a row, and all of a sudden you're like, "What? Well, what? What happened? We were winning twenty games in a row. All of a sudden, we're we're losing five in a row, six in a row. So, it, it's a different season this year as well. I'm I'm very frustrated because it's a condensed schedule, and you're still playing the same players. I would have thought that with a condensed schedule, a guy like Inzaghi may have adapted, and and especially. At the beginning of the year, with so many injuries, people were like, oh, Nzagi's starting to rotate. We're starting to see maybe a shift in other players being played. The only reason that happens is because COVID-19, injuries, he was forced to make changes. If he's not forced to make changes, he's not going to do it. And this is the one flaw that can really hurt him. So we'll see what happens Wednesday. I'm hoping that Mariki actually gets to start over Caicedo. I I personally like to see more of what Vidal can provide. At this point, even if he does provide a 
bad performance. At least I know that, okay, he can't cut it out against Fiorentina, Parma. It wasn't a great investment, but he, he needs a good sample size for me to, to, to fairly judge him and other players, too, that have arrived. Fair enough, yeah. So Lazio has Fiorentina midweek, uh, Inter at Sampdoria. But real quick, Jerry, before we wrap it up, there there is a, a game I wanted to devote our final topic to uh, before I've got to go here. The, the champagne game midweek. Milan hosting Juventus. Now, before I make my prediction, and I want your prediction as well, I want us both to weigh in on on this topic, okay? We we gave Milan earned praise at the top of the show, right? Even though, have they been given some questionable penalties? In my mind, yes. Have they played incredible football this year and made the most of their opportunities? The answer to that is also yes. And they're, they're, they've been top of the table all year, essentially. I think there was one point when Sassuolo might have been top of the table. But for all intents and purposes, Milan has been atop of the table all season long. Uh, you know, Juventus uh, against Fiorentina a couple of weeks ago had a had a horrific result. They bounced back against Udinese uh, over the weekend. But this game, Jerry, I think that if if Milan gets this victory, if they beat Juventus, I think people are actually going to, and that might include odds makers, will legitimately start to consider Milan a favorite for the Scudetto. I don't know if that's a fair statement, because right now, I think the odds actually have Inter favored, um, because I, I think a lot of folks are still thinking that with Milan having such a young team and going from you know a, a Europa League place last year, it's just hard to see them making such a big jump from whatever it was last year, sixth place to first place. It, it seems uh, it seems a little bit unbelievable, but uh, if they're able to to beat Juventus and look convincing in doing that. Uh, I think Milan will actually become, I think a lot of folks will consider them to be a legitimate favorite because that would be a huge, huge result for them. Um, I'm I'm thinking personally, I don't think Milan lose the game. I think it's going to end up being a draw. And, uh, you know, it is a home game for Milan for whatever that's worth, you know, with no with no fans in attendance. I, I don't know if that's a huge factor or not. Uh, obviously, both teams in, in, in better form. Juventus bounce back with quality. I'm thinking 1-1 one, one or 2-2 two, two draw here. I don't think anyone's going to take all three points. That would still be a good result for Milan, although that may not ensure they stay in first place because if Inter win and Milan draw, I think Inter would be um, be either tied with them and I think and then they would have the advantage on a goal differential. So no guarantee Milan, Milan stays in first place. But uh, how do you see the game playing out, Jerry? And if Milan do win, do they become legit favorites? Absolutely. They, they become the favorites to win the Scudetto and then you have Inter second. But here, here's my takeaway. If, if Quadrado starts on Wednesday, I think I personally believe that Juventus is going to lose this game. Cause this guy's a liability. I I'm in a chat group and these, there's a few guys who think that Quadrado has been good. His delivery has been good. His crosses, all that. I think he's just a liability that he, he, He's prone to like these big mistakes that just really hurt his team. And yesterday, without Quadrado, they look really they look much better without him in the lineup. They look really fluid yesterday. They they really were making crisp passes. And I thought that Ramsey was their best player throughout the whole match. He really controlled that midfield. Uh when they were in the final third, he really created chances. He 
he was opening up, making, creating space, creating like good passes, creating opportunities. And he is a, was really good yesterday as well. Very dynamic. He was very, very impactful throughout the whole game. And Dybala getting a goal right at the end could really have boosted his confidence going into Wednesday's match. This is a team that maybe is showing good form right at the right time against a very hot Milan who is still very depleted in players and a team like Juventus can maybe take advantage of Milan. Um, as much as we want to we want to praise Milan for what they've done since June, at the end of the day, Juventus is always the team that we have to look out for. It doesn't matter that they're nine points back or ten points back. They have proven that that gap is never sufficient against a side like Juventus who have won nine Scudettos in a row. And people always think that this year's the year where they're going to drop off. They're they're not going to win. They're they're no longer the team that they are. Um, Pirlo is still adapting. He's still learning. He still needs time to to adjust. Uh, yesterday, he he was really good in his decision making, in his squad rotation, substitutions, all that. Um, come come Wednesday, this is going to be a very highly motivated. Juventus side who's going to want to to really beat Milan. I have I have Juventus winning this game and, and I know that I've tried to do the mush so many times. I, I'm over the mush factor. I'm going to go with <laughs> I'm going to do mush. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to go truly what I believe and I do believe that Juventus is going to come on top of this game. Um, Milan have looked, like I said earlier, Milan have looked really good this year. I, I, I believe that a team like Juventus will take advantage of their weaknesses and their their vital players that have really made a difference this year. And I know Taylor Hernandez will be available come Wednesday now because he served a one-game suspension yesterday. But there, there are still a lot of areas where Milan are missing players that a team like Juventus can really hurt them. Now, the problem with Juventus is that they haven't shown consistency this year. That's the, the, the one thing that concerns me, that they looked good yesterday, but they haven't been able to do that on a consistent basis under Pirlo because they're still adapting and learning and adjusting. Now, the fact I'm, I'm hoping that Ramsey starts Wednesday. Because if Ramsey starts, I think he's he is the major factor in that midfield, alongside with Weston McKenney. Um, Bentoncourt is such a liability; he scares me. Can't play defense if his life depended on it. And we'll go from there. But um, a lot of quality in you in this in this team. I know Alvaro Morata is going to miss the game on Wednesday, but you know what? This gives a chance Dybala once again to to get his legs going, get some consistency more consistency, more playing time, and see what he does. But overall, I, I do like Juventus. Um, see what happens, I guess, right? 
Well, yeah, we, we certainly will. So it's going to be a fun midweek round, uh, and we that'll do it for us. We appreciate everyone's support, uh, all the all the kind reviews on our, our Twitter handle are really, really nice. Uh, make sure to leave reviews on our podcast page as well. If you leave a five-star rating and a nice review, it goes a long way, and we appreciate all of it. So make sure you follow us on Twitter. The show account is at CalchoConPod. Follow Jerry at jmancini8 and of course you'll you'll see uh, not only jerry's food takes the nutella tweets that made a return which i love but you'll also see his takes on lazio and the serie a as well uh follow me on twitter at alex dono dono spelled d-o-n-n-o uh make sure you tune into my shows on onside radio onside radio.com as well and yeah we'll talk to everyone i'm sure we'll do another one this week so we'll talk to everyone next time on another episode of the calcio connection podcast ciao